Carol, yep, to you. Yes. <laughs> hey, I'm back from Sturgis, huh? All right. Good. That's great. That's great. Praise the Lord. Who else? Lily? That's right. Woke up in your right mind. You know what? Sometimes that's just a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> Who else? Yeah. Oh. Yes. Okay. And y'all are going to adopt her. Okay, we're going to pray that, that the Lord has been faithful all along, so he will be faithful now. Who else? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you hear and answer prayer, Lord God, and that though we don't always see your working, we know, God, that you are working behind the scenes, Lord God, moving things in place, Lord. We pray, God, that you would give us ability, Lord God, to trust you more, to listen to your voice, God. I pray, Father, that you would touch bodies, that you would intervene in this legal case with faith, Lord God, and you would just give favor and let this thing be completely summed up, God. I pray, Lord God, for those who have lost loved ones, that you would comfort the families, Lord God, and I pray for traveling mercies, God, that you would keep your hand upon this body, Lord God, and upon our families, God, and our possessions, Lord. We thank you today, Lord God, for this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice today and be glad in it. And Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear your word today. Give us, give us, God, receptive hearts, Lord God, that the seed would go into fertile soil, Lord God, and bring forth much free fruit that would remain. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's run over to Colossians 1. We're going to talk about mystery, and then we're going to get into witness. So we're going to go to Colossians 1. We're going to go to Revelation 10 and 11. <clears throat> we're going to go to Zechariah 4. We're going to go to Daniel 12. Woo! I know. It's all right. We'll, we'll get there. And if I don't get there, then we'll get there sometime or another. So, but I just want to start here in Colossians 1.26, but you might want to just go ahead and get your, your finger parked at Revelation 10 as well, because we're going to read these two real quick together. Well, I, you know, I'm going to read Revelation 10 first. I think it just makes more sense. 10 and 7. If I can see that right. Yes, 10 and 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel... When he is about to trumpet, the mystery of God is completed just as he declared to his servants the prophets. What's completed? The mystery. The mystery. So we're going to, what, what mystery? Well, we're going to find out in just a second. But let's just jump over to 11 and 15 while we've got this open. It says, Then the seventh angel trumpeted, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world 
has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his anointed one, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We thank you, Adonai, the Lord of hosts, I won't say the Hebrew there, the Lord of hosts who is and was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were enraged, but your wrath has come. What was the answer for the raging of the nations? The wrath of God. The pro, oh, see, to reward the wrath of God has come and the time for the dead to be judged to reward your servants and the prophets and the, and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy the destroyers of the earth. This is the crescendo of Revelation. The seventh trumpet sounds and we see that the announcement, that the mystery is complete and the secondary announcement, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And so we understand that this is where everything has been coming to. This is what we know as the end of the age. And so that seventh trumpet, when it sounds... It's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So the nations are raging. See, this, this corresponds with Psalm 2. Why have the nations raged and the people imagined a vain thing? Let me just go. I didn't say I was going to go there, but let me just go there. I was reading it this morning in the Passion Translation. I recommend that you read it. Read it in the other and then read it. Pull it up in the Passion Translation. It's Psalm 2. How many of you are familiar with that psalm? One of the most important psalms. Well, they're all important, but the one I'm reading today is the most important. Anytime I'm reading it, it's important. How dare the nations plan a rebellion? Their foolish plots are futile. Look at how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summits as the rulers scheme and confer together against Yahweh and his anointed king, saying, this is what the nations say, let's come together and break away from the creator once and for all, Let's cast off these controlling chains of God in his Christ. You're like, they don't say that. They say it every day. They're saying it right now. That's what the nations are saying. When you see Revelation, when you see the seals begin to open and they say, who is going to um, deliver us from the wrath of the Lamb? See, the nations are setting themselves up in complete and total rebellion against God. That's why it's so important for us not to be a nation that is found to be in rebellion of, against God. But unfortunately, it seems as though we are heading that way. But, but I'm not a nation in, rebellious, in rebellion against God. See, you're, you may be in a rebellious nation, but it doesn't make you a rebellious nation. And so then it goes on. It says, God's enthroned, God enthroned merely laughs at them. Who is he laughing at? The nations. He's laughing at them. The sovereign one mocks their madness. Mocks them. Then with the fierceness of his anger, he settles the issue and terrifies them with death. That sounds like revelation coming on, doesn't it? The, the things, the, the seals. I myself have poured out my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Wait, now God's speaking. 
And he says, I myself have poured, don't you love that? Have poured out my holy king among, uh, on Mount Zion. Now think about that, to pour out. What do you pour out? Oil. Whenever you take the, the, that's what you're supposed to get that, that he has been anointed, but not only has he been anointed, he also has been poured out. But then in his pouring out, in his crushing, the anointing came forth and he poured it out on Oh, y'all know what, you're, what I'm pouring it out on? Zion. The people of God. He's pouring out. I don't think we quite know who we are. If we knew who we were, we wouldn't act like we do. You know? We, we, we wouldn't hit a circumstance and go, ah! We would know Christ has been poured out, and he's been poured out on Zion. So then we go, he goes on. On his holy mountain, the son speaks. Here's the son speaking. That was the father. The nation spoke, then the son spoke. Uh, then the father spoke. Now the son speaks. I will reveal the eternal purpose of God, for he has decreed over me. Here's the son speaking. You are my favored son, and as your father, I have crowned you as my eternal king. Today I became your father. Ask me, and I will give you the nations. I will do it. And they will become your legacy. Your domain will stretch to the ends of the earth, and you will shepherd them with unlimited authority. Crushing their rebellion as an iron rod crushes jars of clay. This is Psalm 2 in the Passion Translation. So he's going to crush the rebellion. When that trumpet sounds, it is going, it's, it's, it's on time. It's go time. So many times we're so afraid of the wrath of God being poured out. I don't have an appointment with wrath. I don't. You know why I don't have an appointment with wrath? I made an appointment with the cross. And when I made my appointment with the cross and I submitted my totality of my life to the lordship of Christ, he poured out himself and a new member of Zion came in, and he said, Now, since the nations have been given to me as my inheritance, I'm going to need you to go and claim my inheritance by going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name, inducting them, baptizing them in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them... To obey. Oh, dear God, say it isn't so. Obey. Teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's an obedience factor here. 
It's not just, it's not just repeat the prayer after me and then you're good. And see, in the baptism, it's not just getting wet in a baptistry. It's about a total abdication of your life. Total abdication of your life. Total removal of your life. You view yourself as dead. Your identity is gone. You're like, I, but I love my identity. Then you're not a candidate for salvation. Stay on that side of the cross until you begin to see your life as a worthless thing. You, you know, that's, that's the gospel, y'all. That's the gospel. Not just trying to bring people into a better way of living. Not a therapeutic gospel that says, add Jesus to your pantheon of gods and he'll make you a better version of yourself. That's not true. Do you know at baptism, the rest of the world understands the power of baptism, but American church does not. That in Africa, when we, um, we were over there in 2002 or three, one of those, and there was a baptismal service at the church that morning. And these people are coming out of the Muslim faith, and they're being baptized into Christianity. Baptism is a huge deal. It's a public declaration that they are leaving the Muslim faith entirely, and they can, they're, they're completely removed from their families, like they're dead, to their family. So they stand there, and they publicly profess, I am a Christian, and they are severing themselves from their mother, father, sisters, brothers, family. One of the missionaries over there when he first got there, and he was raised in Africa, but someone said, um, they named the two boys, and they said, do you understand they're living on the streets? He went, what, why? They said, well, because they became saved, and, and they're your sons now. And so he had to, Brent didn't realize that. He had to begin to care for them, to provide them a place to live, to pay their expenses all the way through college. Because they were completely cut off from their family. When they stood in that baptistry tank, that's what they were saying. Yes. Now, are you talking in are you talking in America? Or are you talking of many times? There's not, but in um, there's, I would say by and large, the Christian community, the ones I have seen in Africa, are very protective and, and welcoming. Yeah, yeah, but oh yeah, oh in the oh absolutely, of course, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just a speck. It's a speck in many cases. And so that's what we're looking at. But they understand the cost for their commitment. They understand that there is a, a full and complete yielding to this. So the Holy, now the Son speaks, I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Now the Holy Spirit speaks. See, there's three speakers in, in the Psalm 2. It says, listen to me, all you rebel kings. 
all you upstart judges of the earth. Learn your lesson while there is still still time. Isn't that good? Serve and worship the awe-inspiring God. Recognize his greatness and bow before him, trembling with reverence in his presence. Fall down before him and kiss the sun before his anger is aroused against you. Remember that his wrath can come quickly. But many blessings are waiting for all who turn aside to hide themselves in him. That's a psalm about the end of the age. That at the end, that his wrath will be kindled. And he will begin to judge the whole of the nations and the earth with a rod of iron. And all, like I've said so many times, the big number two pencil, he'll bring it out. And he will, and he will total up the ledgers. And it'll all be said and done. Yes. Yes. In total, I think actually they are way more astute with regard to the supernatural power that's maneuvering them. And I think that especially in India, when people, when children in India are born, it is not uncommon for them to go to the witch doctor and to have fetishes applied to them, and they will be given a spirit animal. And so they will, have, they will have bracelets and things on that will, the spirit animal, these, these fetishes are supposed to protect them from other demonic influences. The rest of the world is way more understanding of the spiritual realm. Americans, we're very therapeutic. We're, we don't mind starting a pit drip. We don't mind starting, you know, getting a, and going to a hospital. We like things real clinical with latex gloves. And we like to put it that go, oh, that's just something weird that people do. That's a psychological thing. Well, it is a psychological thing but there's an attachment to it um you were talking about david hogan this morning as a matter of fact he was the one he was in india and they had these they had these bands we've been to mexico before where someone has gone to a witch doctor and they've had fetishist bands attached all just leather bands strings of some sort attached around their body to bring them protection and so they will cut those off and so whenever this man was preaching this A young man came up and he asked through the interpreter, can you cut this off of me? And David Hogan, he's a Cajun, so he always has a knife on him. (laughs) It's true. He he said, he went, why sure. He pulled it out and went and cut it off. And when he cut that band off of him, the kid, the young man fell on the ground and he said, and David said, I've never seen anything like it. He said it was like an animal started coming. He started making animal sounds, and this animal came like it came out of him. He said, then the next thing that happened, he said, no one had ever cut those off. No one would dare do it. And he said, the crowd just started rushing him. And he was like, oh. so they all, they got, 
they got him behind the stage and he's sitting there and people were coming up and he said I'm just popping those bands off of them he said and as I'm popping them off he said they're just piling up in a floor he said and all I'm hearing I'm hearing elephant sounds and zebra sounds and he said all these people these these demons that are supposedly their spirit animal is being is being removed from them he said it made it a lot easier to preach the gospel So I say all that to say this, you know what I mean? The rest of the world is far more in tune with the spiritual realm than we are in the West. We sort of like to push that somewhere in a closet and make it a part of weirdos. And yeah, well, that's kind of weird. But anyway, that's, that, there's, a, there's a reality to the spiritual realm. But today I want to talk to you, what we just read in Revelation, the mystery. The mystery. It said the mystery of God is complete. What? pray tell is the mystery of God that's complete any ideas well you're so smart Tim it's like you've been reading your Bible okay let's go to Colossians good job Tim you're the star oh look at him look at him Galatians okay Gentiles eat pork chops let's see I can't get to Colossians it's hiding okay Colossians 1 and 20 let's start reading in um, 25, 125, the mystery revealed, let's see, 25, I became its servant, Paul speaking, according to God's commission given to me for you in order to declare his message in full, the mystery that was hidden for ages, how long was it hidden? Ages. And generations but now has been revealed to his saints. What is it? God chose, here's the mystery revealed, y'all ready? God chose to make known to them his glorious mystery regarding the Gentiles. We got any Gentiles? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the mystery that... See, Israel didn't see that mystery coming. The mystery is, is that now the Gentile nation, see, before God chose one man, his name was Abram. Abram had one wife, her name was Sarah. They were both rocks. What do I mean? They couldn't, they were sterile. Abraham, it says he was old, and it says that Sarah was not only old, but she was barren. So why did God choose Abraham and Sarah? Because they were so special? Because they were so, because they were so not able to do anything on their own. And so, you know, see, right now where you're looking at your situation, you're like, well, you think you've got to bring God some of your good stuff. It's your good stuff that your self-reliance is getting in the way because you keep hanging on to your good stuff. Somebody read Isaiah 51 and 1 to me. Maybe you don't believe that Abraham and Sarah were rocks. And unless you hear that and you go, well, yeah, they were rocks. They were solid. That's not what it means. Who's got... Who's got um, Isaiah 51 and 1. Who will read that for me real quick? I just didn't want to turn there and get off track. Okay. Uh-huh. 
perfect. That's all I need. So we got a rock and we got a hole in the rock. We got a, we got a rock and a quarry. And then he says, I'm going to tell you who those people, who's the rock and who's the quarry. We got Abraham's the rock and Sarah's the quarry. And they're both have no life in them. And he tells them, Isaiah the prophet says, won't you, I, I, you know what, you who are faithless, he's ta- the prophet is talking to a faithless bunch of people. And he's saying, you who are faithless, I've got a message for you. Why don't you look to the rock where you came from and the quarry that you came out of? And how, how, just, yeah, could you just give me some insight on how that happened? God chose Abraham and Sarah because there was no hope in them. Because he wants to drive us to the place where we stop looking to ourselves as though there's something hopeful in us. We're, we sing that song, Honey in the Rock. Right? So see, the honey in the... You don't, how many of y'all have ever squeezed honey out of a rock? You can't. That's the point. Is that God is supernatural. So don't try to bring him your good stuff. You don't, he doesn't, there's nothing you've got that's good. You, he laughs at nations. It's faith that impresses him. So we look at that and we see that God called. So this mystery, is Christ in you the hope of glory? But he called a man. I mean, he had a man named Adam, and he blew it. So he had another man named Enoch, and he just took him. And then he had other men. He had another man named Noah, and he preserved him. And we, oh, we're doing good. Noah could be it. He could be it, y'all. No, Noah got drunk. And did some weird stuff. We don't know. We don't know about the weird stuff. And then, so we got Noah. And we're like, okay, that didn't go well, right? And then we move on. And, the, and then we get to the whole, well, the whole, I know, this will be, be good. Because what we'll do is we'll just start with eight people. Surely this place couldn't go bad with just eight people. Then we get to the Tower of Babel. And, the, you know, the Lord, and, and a lot of people, they say, it says there, the Lord looks at it and he's like, we're going to have to come down. Because there's nothing that, when they unite, there's nothing that is too hard for them. And so many people take that and go, well, God was super impressed with humanity. No. No. He was, you know what he was saying there? He's, yeah, he's saying they're trying to build a tower to heaven. They're going to screw this thing. You know what's not impossible for them? Screwing the whole thing up. So what he did is he divided them. You can't talk to you and you keep what you do with your kids. You go to that room and you go to that room and don't talk to each other anymore. He's separate. Well, that's not exactly true. He wasn't scared of his image bearers on earth. What he's afraid, see, that, that's the mentality. See, I, w- I would like to just take that mentality and go, no. Because what happens with that is you start thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. You're a rock. You couldn't even get to God unless he revealed himself to you. 
You have no hope. Do y'all see that? No hope. You can't flash your American passport. You can't, sh you can't show him the, the zeros you have in your bank account. Now, mine are all zeros, you know. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do anything to him. All your talent, you may, be the, you may think you're the most talented person in the world. But it's nothing. So he brings, and he, we get to, now we're at Babel, aren't we? So God separates that all out. And now he's like, okay. And then he divides the whole, he divides the world. And he takes, and he takes the unseen realm and he says, you go over them. You're over them. This is Deuteronomy 32. You're over them. You're over them. You're over them. Take care of them. And then Psalm says, he tells those, those, those are the Elohim, the sons of God. You know what they did? They got screwed up as well. And so God tells them, Psalm 82, I'm going to judge you too. As a matter of fact, you're going to die like mere men. That's what he told the sons of God. You're going to die like mere men. He said, what have you done? So God still, he's watching. He's watching the whole thing. He's watching the whole of his creation, his imagers. Waste it all. And so he goes, hmm. Abraham, you'll do. Come here, boy. He's looking all over the world. And he calls the most hopeless man on the planet. What, 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 what? I'm going to make you into a great nation. What's the purpose of this, God? I want to bless the whole world through you. Okay. He calls him. He leaves. Abraham, he didn't have, he's growing in faith. He didn't have a whole lot of faith. He don't have a clue. Would you? Would you? He, he brings out Lot with him. You know why he brings out Lot with him? It's called insurance. He didn't have an heir. So he brings his nephew out with him. And he has to separate from his nephew. And God starts blessing Abraham. He says, everywhere you, anybody who blesses you, I'll bless. Anybody who curses you, I'll curse. Why? Why did God give this unique um, protection to this man? Why? Why? To show what he could do? One reason, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You're like, that's way on in the story. But God saw in Abraham that son. When he called Abraham, what did he do? When he called Abraham, he condemned his son. When Seth got on the ark, he condemned his son. You see what I'm saying? He didn't have to save Seth, but he did. He preserved the seed. Because way back in Genesis 3.15, the thesis of the Bible was kicked off. I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. And 
You will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. And when we come into Christ, the mystery is now, it's not just Israel. The law and the prophets and everything came through Israel. God gave Israel this whole constitution called the Torah and told them how to walk in righteousness, how to be pleasing to him. And Noah, Noah, Moses was the administrator of that covenant. Now, who's the administrator of the covenant? The Holy Spirit is the administrator of the covenant. Moses went up on Mount Sinai in the midst of a theopony, and he came down with the, with the instruction of God, and he delivered it to the people. That was the mercy of God to keep him from destroying these people because of their wickedness, and he gave them that constitution. And then we see on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit, when the full day of Pentecost was come, that who came down? It wasn't Moses, was it? Who came down? The Holy Spirit came down. On the day that Moses came down from the mountain, how many people died? 3,000. Because he caught them having an orgy. That's what it was. But Paul says the ministry of death is not like the ministry of life. So when the Holy Spirit came down from the mountain... 3,000 people didn't die. How many people got saved or came to life? See, you're supposed to get that. You're supposed to get that. So as Moses was a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ, now the new administrator of the covenant is not without you, that you're reading the, the law out here and trying, but there's no nature change. When you're born again, the Spirit of God is within you. I don't need laws. I don't have to have them. Why? Because I have the Spirit. Laws are for dying people. If you need laws, are you saying you're perfect? No. It's not perfection. I'm guided by the... They that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. See, you've been brought to Zion. Hebrews chapter 12, you haven't been brought to Sinai where it was fearful and there was trembling and thunder and lightning. And even if an animal touched that mountain, the author of Hebrews said, they would be stoned. He said, but you have come to Zion amidst myriads of angels and heavenly beings and the fellowship of the assembly of the sun with celebration. Angels decord in festal array of celebratory drama. That's, that's Hebrews 12. That's an Andrea version. You're like, I've never read that. Just read it. It's, I could read it to you. You go, you right. You did. That is what it says. So I, That's where I've come to. And I'm a part of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in us. And what's my hope? One day. One day. This, this, remnant, this remnant of death that still remains because of the disobedience of Adam. One day. Either it's, I might be in the dirt. If I'm in the dirt, the dirt is going to part ways with me. And, I'm gonna, and when God recreates this earth, I'm going to need a new body to live on this earth. And if I don't happen to be dead when it happens, all of a sudden the spirit 
that is the down payment within me. How many of y'all got a down payment? The spirit. How many of you are sealed? Yeah, who can stand? Who can stand? Who can stand against the day's the Lord's wrath? Who can stand? I can. I happen to be sealed. So one day, whenever he calls his down payment back, any maid, anyone who lights the way to the marriage, if you've got oil in your lamp, you're getting up. I'm getting up. I mean, it's, it's can't, I can't help it. I can't help it. He's going to call his spirit back. But the people who don't have the spirit, rocks. They're going to stay rocks. See, that's what it means when he opens. When, he, when Jesus, he, what did he walk out of? Let's carry the imagery a little further. What did he walk out of? He, rock, he walked out of a rock. He just walked right out of a rock. Honey in the... What is, honey a, what is honey a reference to? The land that flows with? What's honey a reference to? Sweetness, life, joy, abundance, flourishing, um, immortality. Do you know that honey never, ever, 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 ever spoils? Do you take it? Go home today. I dare y'all to do this and take some honey and put it in a and put it in a plate, right? And then pour a little bit of water on it. Take about this much honey and put it in a plate, and put about this much water on. You know, cover it with water, and then take that honey plate and do this. Start swirling that water around it. Do that. It'll tell you a story. You know, what it'll tell you a story of where it came from. It will shape into a honeycomb every single time. Every single time. And if it's not, if it's artificial honey, if you do that and it's artificial honey, no can do. See, it tells you it's source all the time. See, you can't, you don't have to convince me you're a child of God. All I do is just swirl you around a little bit and you'll tell me where you came from. Put a little trouble on you, a little trial, swirl you around. I'll see if this message is there, if I see your origin. So as we look, this mystery, this mystery that is complete, I don't want you to look at Revelation as this, tell me what's going to happen, what's the mark of the beast, who's the Antichrist. I don't know and I don't care. Who's, what nation is the Antichrist going to rise from? I don't know. God knows. I don't know. When's he going to come back? <laughs> what, is it going to be hard for me at some point? I don't know. Is, is the rapture going to happen before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation? I don't know. Why does it matter so much to you? You're like, well, because that's scary. If it's scary to you, then you haven't actually read the book. Because I, as I'm reading there, he starts blowing the trumpet, and we start winning. I mean, in my prayer has been the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and His Christ. Isn't that what Jesus told us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, come to earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
That's all you're praying is for the kingdoms of this world to become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. And the seventh trump sounds. And what does Paul say happens? Well, he puts it a little dramatically because he has a, he has a he kind of a mind for flair like me. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's good. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. What's sleep? But we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last. How many trumps are there? At the last trump. See, you just got to read it in reference. It starts to become so clear. For the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. See, Paul's like, it could happen. He's so like, it could happen any minute. I'm, I'm still in the we side of this. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him. And I can't see for the imperishable must close itself in the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. That's what this whole thing is coming toward. We have so undervalued the resurrection we really have. It's like not important to us anymore. It's like something that will happen when it needs to happen. And that's what this, that's the hope of. That's the hope of glory. See, I don't know if we understood that. Christ in you. Christ in you. Tommy, if Christ is in you, you have the hope of glory. What did I just say? Is Christ in you by spirit? Then you can resurrect. That life will come out of that grave. See, that's, well, you are eternal, but it's more than that. Because, see, we're like we're going to go to heaven and float on a cloud and play a harp. We're not. What's the, what is all creation groaning for? On tiptoe. What's it on tiptoe for? The manif, nope. The manifestation of the sons of God. What's all creation longing for? This is what creation is doing. I want the resurrection. I want the resurrection. Come on, resurrection. Come on. Come on, resurrection. The trees are saying, oh, if we had a resurrected humanity. The rocks are like, oh, this is so much weight to bear. This is not what we're made for. As resources are mined and divided and pollution is the byproduct and it's dumped in the third world because they're too poor to care and the governments are too corrupt to do anything about it. And we all just live because we would never let them dump waste, toxic waste in our rivers and streams. So let's dump it in Africa. Y'all know what's happening? All the time. And so all, all of creation is saying, stop this madness. And what is creation wanting? It's wanting imagers who look like Jesus to get up. So we live in this place called the mystery. See, the mystery is, is that there's this place called the church in this, this age that we're in. And if you don't understand how important the mystery part of this whole journey is, then you might just sit by idly and twiddle your thumbs 
and not invest and not seek and not knock and not do. And you might just get so self-obsessed that all you think about is you or your four and no more. You might. There's a, there, I, I've heard of people that happens to. And so what happens there is if we don't understand the purpose for the treasure in the field, we start thinking the treasure's for the field. That Christ is in you, the hope of glory, and it's to bring the kingdom of God. And we start thinking, we start thinking it's all about me, the field. I'm just the field. And the treasure's there. I mean, it is for you but it's it's to be given to others. And so this is what we're looking at in Revelation. This whole thing is coming to a close. And all of us, after the resurrection, and now I want to read this to you. Daniel, I'll read it real quick. Got to get out of the Passion Translation. Daniel 12. Do you all think that they believed in the resurrection in the Old Testament? They really did. Listen, it's very well covered in the Old Testament. Daniel 12 and 2. Multitudes, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Everybody is getting up out of the ground at some point. And everybody is going to be judged. Everybody's going to be graded. You're going to have to appear on grade day. Final exam. And so it's going to be, what, what am I, wait a minute, I'm saved. I don't want to be great. You are. You're going to be graded. The Bible says that you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And every man is going to be judged by his works that he did while in the flesh. And so, but what's the word? Wait a minute, you said this, we're not saved by works, so why are we being judged? Who can tell me? Why are we being judged? I just gave you a treasure. I just gave you a treasure. I gave you the wealth of heaven and I gave it to you. What are you going to, what do you do with what you got? What do you do with it? Uh-huh. Oh, man, I don't get behind me in line. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm like, You're so far behind. No, you know what? That's not true. That's not true at all because it doesn't matter that you got saved. It didn't, that's what, what? There's no bad ticks. You're not being judged for that. That's all gone. That's all gone. You're being judged for what you've done with Christ. What have you done with Christ? You're not being judged for anything that's in your past. The ones who are the others who are going to be judged for eternal shame, they're still being judged. They're still being judged according to a life without Christ. They're going to be judged according to the law fully. You're not going to be judged according to that. Those those are gone. And now you got. But all you're going to be see that's called the judgment of works. What did you work out? What did you do? I mean, if I gave you a million dollars. Tommy, I gave you a million dollars, right? A million dollars. Would you, would you know what to do with that? You would know what to do with that, right? Right now, you wouldn't have any question of what to do with that. Would you go home and put it under your pillow? Would you go home and... 
You do something. So you're saying you're saying you would do something with it. So if I gave you Christ, what would you do with him? That's what you're being judged for. He gave you. So that's your judgment. What did you do with me? How did you? We're judged. We're already judged. The handwritten ordinances that were against us. So everything you did, B.C., is gone. But now there is another judgment. It's what do you do with the life you've lived with Christ? It's the life you've lived with Christ. You, there, there's going to be a grade on that. Now, wait a second. You're like, can I still miss it? No. It says that every man's... I'm going to have to look. I didn't know, y'all. We're going to have to go to this. Okay. No, that's good. I, I need to know. Let's see. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day, capital D, that's the judgment day of Christ, shall declare it. Every man's work shall... Now, this is not the work you did prior in your sinful life. This is not any sin. There's no sin coming in here. Right? That's gone. It's under the blood. That what you're being judged for is what you did with the blood. So, so it is here. Every man's work will be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall test every man's work of what sort it is. Keep going further. What's the next? I'm in a different program. What's the next verse? If what he has built survives... He, if what he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as if through flames. So, you come to the Lord. You, okay, how many of you in here are Christians? Okay, some of you wouldn't raise your hand for no amount of money. You're going to stand before Christ's judgment throne. And he, but you're not going to be judged according to your sin because he already, when you came to the cross, see, when I said I don't have an appointment with wrath because I had an appointment with the cross. So all the wrath against me, God's judgment and punishment, was absorbed in Christ's sacrifice. When I put my faith in him, I exchanged my life, my worthless life of terrible works and sinfulness for his blessed life. He then gave me the Holy Spirit as a seal. He lives in me. He writes the Ten Commandments on my heart, his instructions. He guides me. He, I listen to his voice. He tells me what to do, when to do, where to do, how to do. I listen to him. I walk with him. I seek his word. I pray. I go to church. I obey. Not All those things don't get me salvation, do they? None of them get me salvation. They grow me into the fullness of Christ so that the working in me, I work out 
my salvation with fear and trembling. Not fear because I'm afraid I won't be saved. Fear of the awe and the majesty of God that one day I'm going to stand before him. I don't act like an idiot because I don't want you to catch me acting like an idiot. I don't want to act like an idiot. I don't want to sow those seeds. Now you're saying, but Andrew, you can just get forgiven anytime. I can. But if I continually, habitually, perpetually fall into the same sin over and over and over again, I'm not repenting. We gotta look in the mirror. Yes. Right. You can. You can. And and so and and we just read it. And what are you gonna be judged for? What you did while you are in the flesh. See the flesh though there says so gets tricky. That gets tricky for us. You're still living your life in the flesh. I don't have it. How many of y'all have ever lived any other way but in the flesh? But see, the flesh, you're talking conceptually of the heritage, history, and habits. So if you continue to walk according to your heritage, your history, and your habits, you're agreeing with somebody who's dead. Right? So... If I continually walk like I used to walk before I came to the cross, I am identifying and agreeing with who's supposed to be a dead man. And so what I continue to do is I resurrect the old man and empower him to live against the law of Christ. And I, don't, and I abuse grace because I don't use grace. I have a misconception of grace, and I think that grace empowers me to live back there and go, oh, sorry, God, I forget it. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> I don't get to do that. See, I live in fear and trembling. That I, that I say, God, let me not walk according to my heritage and history and habit. I'm going to answer to God for what I did in the flesh on this side of grace. And some people, it says, what are they going to lose? What are they going to lose? According to the scripture I just read, are they going to lose their salvation? No. Their reward. Right. Some people are like, oh, that's no big deal. I live, I live in the reality that I'm coming to a reward. So it's like, what does that say that again? That's right. Our compounded interest on Christ's investment. is yet for a moment. Stop acting like you used to act. And it and it's living and it's looking at all of us in the mirror and saying, "God, am I obedient to this book?" That's it. Run in such a way 
that you might win. And so he said, I so want that prize. I beat my body and make it my slave unless after I have preached to others, I might become a castaway. That's just scripture. That's just scripture. And so what does Paul say? How do I do that? Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark of the upward call of Christ Jesus. What is your unforgiveness worth to you? What is your disobedience worth to you? What is your obstinance worth to you? See, one day, he's going to bring us all out of the graves. And it's going to be that great. And we're going to be totaling accounts. So when we're talking about the end times, I don't want us to miss the real message for trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. I, I, I know this. We'll probably have no trouble recognizing when it's time to recognize. I want to know who the real Christians are. We're done. I got to go. Bye, y'all. Well, this is how I look at it. So when we get to 24, it's very clear. You know what I mean? I mean. You know him? You know him? What is it? I don't know if it's anything. Like what? What in specifically? Just what it says apart from this evil. Like okay. to me, it sounds like there's people here that, okay. that know God. Mm-hmm. That, okay. And that, that, okay. That don't do Let's what they're supposed to be doing. Let's look at that. Okay. So we've got the day of salvation. So we come in 24 here, and he tells the story of the faithful servant in Egypt. I'm gonna pull it up in my Bible just because I've got some in my notes. Um, the faithful servant and the and the not faithful servant. There we go. Now, a lot of people get afraid of that. Depart from me, for I never knew you. Because we think that he's going to 